Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here we will have case-based conversation and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge, focusing on equine health. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Connell of McKee Panel Equine Services, and welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Today, we're recording this the beginning of January, and it's winter, Ontario. And so I thought I would invite two of my colleagues who have some broad experience working in cold weather for us to talk about managing your horse in the winter. Closest to me from where I practice out of in the Campbellville Clinic, I'd like to introduce Dr. Melanie Pfeffer. Welcome, Melanie. Hey. And then over at our Caledon Clinic is Dr. Kate Robinson. Hi, Kate. Hi, Mike. Hi, everybody. Hi, Melanie. So I asked the two of you because we'll continue with you, Kate. You spent many years as a professor at the vet school in Saskatoon, the Western College of Veterinary Medicine. And I've been in Saskatoon in January. It's horrible. I have to be honest. It's pro- <laughs> I've been there in the summer. It's amazing. But in January, it's not a lot of fun. No, it gets pretty cold. That's for sure. I grew up in Montreal. I thought I knew cold weather until I went to Saskatoon and it was a whole other level. And Melanie, you originally hail from the Black Forest region of Bavaria in Germany, and it gets quite cold too, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, I would say it's pretty similar to uh, Ontario, but uh, yeah, it gets pretty cold. All right. So we got transatlantic opinions on handling cold weather. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. And I think we can learn from how things are done in the prairies where it is just frigid to how you're doing things in Europe. So before we start, Melanie, do you have a favor or a memorable equine cold weather story, either as a veterinarian or as an equestrian enthusiast? It's hard to think of, but I would say the one that stick out the most in my mind is the times when uh, you have medication or freezing outside while you're trying to give it to the horse that's always not so much fun so you have to come up with uh, ways to to not have that happen but uh we've been fairly creative with that yeah it's, it's that shock when a medication freezes in the syringe it's like yeah that's when you know it's cold outside yes exactly how about yourself kate yeah i mean certainly i share melanie's experiences in that regard I think, though, uh, as a horse enthusiast, when you're dressed properly on those sunny prairie days, they can be some of the most beautiful days to go out hacking on your horse. So still try to to ride outside in Saskatoon winters and, and really enjoyed exploring pastures uh, and trails in the crisp snow. I'll just share a quick story of my own. Some people know that before I was a vet, I was a farrier and I apprenticed with a veterinarian slash farrier in Wisconsin for three years. And we used to practice just outside of Minneapolis, St. Paul. And I remember once shoeing and it was like the first horse of the day and you bring the anvil out and you put the shoe in the forge and you bring it out and it's orange hot and you put it on the cold anvil. And it was had to be like minus 30. It was just horrid. Before we could strike it with a hammer, you could see the shoe going from orange to black in like 10 seconds because it was so darn cold. And it was like, this is going to be a long day. Yeah, wow. 
I'm glad Kate brought up some of the positives though too, because winter can be awesome. And like you said, if you were, if you're dressed properly and uh, the sun is out, it can be really awesome, I would say. So let's just start big picture and sort of some of your recommendations, a couple of areas I wanted to go into. So number one, food and hydration. What do we need to do different in the winter for food and hydration? And, And Kate, let's start with you. Hydration, certainly just as a, as a base point for any horse owner or caretaker, knowing that the average sized horse, so that 500 kilo horse is going to need as maintenance about 25 liters of water per day. And so having like a known measured amount, and certainly that's going to vary. Horses are individuals and they don't read textbooks, but knowing that that's a approximately what they need just to maintain normal hydration, I think is a good starting point. And you can, based on that, get to know your own horse in the warmer weather months and and kind of how much they drink on a daily basis, and then continue to monitor through the colder months. And if you're noticing that they aren't drinking as much, which is, is common, particularly if they are maybe slightly offended by the colder temperature of the water being offered, you can do things to encourage them to drink more, such as warming the water up a little bit. I'm stretching a little bit to know the exact temperature off the top of my head, but I think there's some evidence that around 16 degrees Celsius is kind of the ideal temperature of drinking water for horses or preferred temperature. And then also doing things just to make it a little bit more appealing and tasty, like adding some apple juice or maybe a little bit of molasses, something that makes it more interesting for them. And then as far as feeding goes, I think one of the big myths is owners and caretakers and sometimes even vets want to give more calories in the form of grain or concentrates during the winter months. And while that is a good idea for trying to keep body condition, et cetera, up where it should be. Horses actually produce heat in their hind gut when they digest forage. So hay and hay cubes is another form of of forage. So I think being conscientious of the fact that we actually should be offering them more hay and not necessarily more grains as a way of actually helping them to stay warm is something to keep in mind and and something that I would like all horse owners in in Canada and cold weather climates to be aware of. There are some barns that seem to get chillier than others. And if you can comment on the value of not having water buckets freezing, it's so hard sometimes. But let's talk about what the impact of freezing water or frozen water buckets does for colic, for example. Certainly, you would want to try to avoid that uh, at all costs because, as uh, as Kate said, just for maintenance, horses need to have quite a bit of intake of water on a daily basis. What to do about it? I would say biggest thing is if water buckets are freezing, you just need to change the water more frequently. The horses will still drink cold water, but uh, as you <laughs> implied, they're certainly... Uh, can be a negative effect off it if it is frozen water and they have to actually push their way through ice layer. And that cold water hitting the stomach certainly can give them an upset stomach and uh, yeah, colic signs and symptoms for sure. 
there are water bucket feeders. <laughs> so anybody who has the means to do that, I think it's not a bad thing. Even so, got to be careful with all your electrical in the barn if you're doing that. From what I remember, I think if you gave horses the choice of drinking cold water as opposed to warm water, they will drink the cold water. But certainly there are some individual differences there as well. I think the biggest thing for a horse owner to be mindful of is that when the buckets do freeze, they're not drinking. And then they start getting dehydrated. We see a higher level of impaction colics. Uh, it's almost when we get a deep freeze, you can almost know when you're on colic, I'm sure I'm going to get called out because, you know, there will be a barn and it's not by anybody's evil intent. It's just, it just happens. And also we forget like, oh my gosh, it got really cold. And you top up the water buckets in the evening or late afternoon. And by nine or 10, they're frozen solid and the horses can't drink. And that's when we get the phone call first thing in the morning, like, oh, my horse is not comfortable. So it really, from our point of view, that's something that everybody sort of needs to keep on to. I would certainly agree with that, that uh, we tend to see more impacts in colleagues just because the horse is not drinking. And if the, if the water buckets are frozen, then that's more likely to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So Melanie, I'm really curious to get your perspective on blanketing. I wouldn't say there's large approaches to husbandry and Europe versus North America, but there are some differences. So I'd love to get the European perspective or the German perspective on blanketing in the winter. So I'm not sure I'm the best representative of that because I come from an area in Germany where uh, we mostly have heavy horses, draft horses. And to be honest, most of them are not blanketed and they do just fine. And I have a fairly straightforward opinion on the blanketing. I think if horses are used to being outside, are not clipped and have shelter, as far as I'm concerned, they don't need to be blanketed. However, there are, of course, exceptions to that, especially there are some breed differences and there are some age differences. And then, of course, if we're doing something like clipping the horse, then uh, certainly I would say, yes, you need to blanket your horse when the horse goes outside. But typically, I'm always amazed how good horses are dealing with weather itself. I have not seen a horse uh, frozen other than the very tip of its ears. I think they are generally pretty good about what they're doing with their heat. And, and like Kate said, if you provide hay outside too, that would be a big thing in my mind. Anything to add to that, Kate? No, not really. Actually, my thoughts on blanketing align quite well with Melanie's. I guess the one thing I have for my own horse care here since moving to Ontario versus Saskatoon, this sort of uh, damp, cool weather that we're, we're dealing with now, Personally, I think that's actually the the worst weather for horses. If they're unblanketed, they get wet and they can't fluff up their coats or pillow erect to warm, which is one of the mechanisms that they certainly use to, to keep themselves warmer. So I do think in this sort of plus five to minus five damp weather that we are experiencing right now, a good rain sheet, plus or minus a light fill turnout, depending again on how acclimatized the horse is to outdoor temperatures and whether they're clipped or not, is probably a good idea because if they get wet, they just can't stay warm the same way. I guess the other thing I would add 
to me, and I don't know what Melanie thinks about this. If a horse comes inside, let's say like they're stalled overnight for eight hours or 10 hours, I don't think that they're acclimatized to cold the same way as one that's living outside 24 seven. And so in my opinion, that horse that comes inside overnight probably should be blanketed while they're outside as well during the day, simply because again, I, I just don't think that we've given them as much of a proper acclimatization to the cold weather as one that's living outside all the time. It's funny when I li- both lived in Wisconsin and in Quebec, I mean, our horses were out all the time and we had a herd of a broodmare band where I was near close where I was working in Wisconsin. And I mean, by this time of the year, they look like mastodons. They are so furry. It's funny. We almost, especially in Quebec, we actually had to put a lean to for them. And we, we sort of jokingly and called it the humane society lean to because people would drive by who weren't horse owners. They'd see horses outside in the cold. And they had called the Humane Society because they thought we were abusing the horses. And so we literally put it a lean-to up so people like at least knew the horses have shelter. They never used it because they'd rather be out. And it could be like a blowing wind. But if, if you have a herd and they get together, they have no problem keeping warm. I agree with you, Kate, too, about the a sheet or a light blanket when it rains. I think that's probably worse for them than heavy snow or extreme cold is that just around freezing rain like we've been having the last week or so. That's brutal for them. I would agree. I think the bringing them in overnight, uh, that's a bit of a question mark in my mind. I would say if you have a barn where the buckets do freeze at times, then your horses are probably sanitized to the cold. Just fine. Yeah, you're probably right with that one, Melanie. <laughs> that's a very good <laughs> distinction. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> So let's talk about feet. So Melanie, uh, you're really developing a strong interest in, in uh, the equine foot and podiatry. Any tips to share for foot maintenance in the winter? Well, I would say typically horses tend to not grow feet as quickly over the colder months as they do through spring and summer. I think a lot of farriers would say that as well. I would say biggest thing is where you would have to pay attention is if your horse is shod and there is ice outside, that would be a big question mark because horses will slip like crazy if they are wearing plain steel shoes and there's no cords on. That can end in a big disaster very quickly. So I would say that is something you need to pay close attention to if your horse is shod. You have to put cords on as far as I'm concerned if you keep the shoes on over the winter. I also feel like if we get into these uh, situations where there's this frozen mud, horses tend to get stuck a little bit more in it. And therefore, try not to, even if I say they don't uh, grow their feet as quickly, I would say be careful of not letting your horse's feet get too long. Because if we are, especially in those frozen mud, getting stuck situations, I would say that's harder, much harder to get out of or break over like roll over uh, on their toe if their feet are long. So those would be my main thoughts. And then, of course, if we have the situation that we have, like the kind of weather that we have now, where it seems quite wet outside and not that frozen, we get into situations where horses develop thrust. I've had a fair number of cases recently with that. So be, be mindful of that, that you... Even if it's a little bit gross, maybe try to pick out your horse's feet every day 
because horses' feet are made for dry weather and not for that kind of weather, unfortunately. So it's a bit more challenging, I find, to to keep the feet in a healthy condition in this kind of weather. Yeah, good point. How about you, Kate? I agree with with Melanie. Maybe as an alternative to corks, applying borium to give a little bit of extra grip. I think it's borium. You can correct me if I'm wrong there, Mike. The other thing I would suggest, if it's appropriate for the the horse, I mean, there's a good number of horses that are in decreased or no work for at least some portion of the winter. It's maybe a good time to pull shoes and uh, give their feet a little bit of a break. You might not see drastic changes or be able to rehab a foot over a short period of time, but it does just give the foot, I think, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but a little bit of time to just relax and maybe spread a little bit out of shoes. And I think maybe caring for feet in the winter is a little bit easier if they're barefoot rather than than shod. And it takes away some of the additional risks that Melanie has just highlighted for us. I would totally agree that uh, if you can find the time where uh, your horse can be barefoot for a while, that's a, a very good point. I would just say don't do it uh, on the day when the ground freezes for the first time because you might end up with uh, a full bruise or a fairly sore horse afterwards, and that might not be very nice to the <laughs> to the feet. But overall, I would totally agree. Whenever we do put a shoe on a horse, we do restrict the hoof mechanism to some degree. So I would say if we can uh, try and get that frog to touch the ground, I think that's typically a, a good thing. But not every horse, unfortunately, cooperates with that. But uh, generally, I definitely like that idea. Yeah, I'll put my farrier hat on. Just two things I want to add is, yes, if you're going to have shoes, you need some kind of traction. But there are times like, you know, when we get a rain and then it freezes up again and it's a skating rink, I don't care how much borium or traction you have on, often the horse is still going to slide. And, and so I think we just have to be careful. And then the other thing is that if you're going to have shoes on is to have specific snow pad shoes. They're coming two types. There's one we call the bubble that pops down and when the horses lift the foot up, pops back out and expels the snow. Or the other ones are a, a type of a rim, which is sort of a, a hollow rim. The same mechanism, the difference is that allows the foot, the sole, the frog to be exposed and ultimately is healthier. Too often, I will see people just have regular pads and that won't work because what happens is the snow or ice gets between that pad and the shoe. That snow can't go. And so people are walking around, these horses are walking out on snowballs, which really increases the risk of them slipping or actually fracturing uh, one of the distal limbs or the coffin pastern or, or even cannon bone because it's just so unstable. Imagine us walking on, being Lady Gaga, walking on high heels. It's, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for an accident. So definitely some different pets. It looks really freaky when you see some of these horses uh, with the snow packed in their uh, feet and shoes, I guess. I totally agree. And I, I would be worried about soft tissue there as well as uh, how they stretch sometimes and roll around. Completely agree with that. Yeah. Any just any broad differences in age or discipline? You know, we have, you know, young horses, we have geriatric horses, senior horses, we have brood mares. Is there anything obvious that we should highlight as a difference that we should be uh, mentioning? I think yes, is the short answer. 
but growing horses or young horses. So I guess for me, that's probably, you know, three years and younger are still going through relatively significant amounts of growth. Uh, and then our geriatric horses. So probably in the, the range of, of 20 years plus, uh, they're probably not going to be as hardy in the, the cold as our middle-aged healthy horses are. So they may require blanketing sooner or heavier blankets. A really important point I think to make though with regards to to blanketing in general and particularly when we're thinking about our geriatric horses, blankets need to be taken off on a regular basis and the horse underneath checked as well. So you can't just throw the blanket on in October, pull it off in April and and hope that everything's going to be hunky dory under there. You need to be monitoring body condition, scoring, weight, hair coat, skin, certainly if they're getting sweaty underneath their blankets, if it's too heavy or we have a, a sudden warm up, you know, we're at risk for rain rot, those kinds of things. So while blanketing may be more important for those younger and older horses, we also need to be a little bit more intent, I think, on our monitoring of that as well. The biggest thing that comes to mind as far as breed differences is, uh, to me, is Atlantic horses. We don't seem to have that many here, but I, I feel like it's increasing a little bit. We have uh, quite a few in Germany, I have to say, and uh, certainly I would say the two big differences would be the Atlantic horse and then the maybe the Arabian horse would be some typical differences, I would say. That's where the Icelandic horse is just getting comfortable. Maybe an Arabian might, maybe I'm not doing the Arabian breed justice here because they can be absolutely tough horses. <laughs> but uh, they seem to be maybe a little more thin-skinned at times. Yeah, maybe would require a little more attention or sooner uh, than an Icelandic horse. That uh, if they grow their hair coat normal and are not flipped, it looks like a fluffy little, I don't know, mammoth. Yeah, yeah. I think the one thing I would add too is just with the geriatric horses having their their teeth checked in the fall, just because you know as we mentioned earlier their need to have and to eat uh, forage and some of these older folks have a harder time with it and just making sure we set them up for success during the winter is always helpful. Completely agree with that. That's a great point because we often I feel hear that uh, some horses are not doing that well over the winter and I think uh, teeth are maybe overlooked at times there and play a huge role, I would say. Uh, like Kate's point about taking the blanket off, because I've seen some geriatric horses and you, they take the blanket off and they call you, oh, it's not doing well. You take the blanket off and you can even see the owners gasp like, oh my gosh, it's lost a hundred pounds since they put the blankets on. So yeah, having the blankets off just to make sure everything is fine is definitely. All right. So I've got some quick questions. Kate, when is it too cold to put a horse out? If they are properly acclimatized, I don't think it necessarily is too cold to put a horse out. Certainly, that's easier, I guess, to judge on those horses that are living out 24-7. But again, I think if, if horses are used to going out on a daily basis and they are provided with proper shelter, hay, and or blanketing, I don't have a temperature that I would say, don't put them out. I think I would be more concerned about putting horses out if we had a, a flash 
freeze or a sudden icy situation where even barefoot horses might be at significant risk of slipping and catastrophic injury than just an extreme cold, if that makes sense. So Melly, I want to ask you this question is when is it too cold to ride or to work your horse? I know you're a huge fan of standard breads and they race year round in Ontario. And there are times when you're like, are they really going to race? And often they will cancel the race if it's too cold, but any suggestions, it's too much, even just for a nice pleasure hack. That's a good point. I, I think so certainly for the racehorses, they really need to be using their lungs big time when they're racing. The cold air, breathing in the cold air to that degree, uh, I think can actually do quite a bit of damage to your lungs. So I would say if you're doing high-level horses sweating, I wouldn't want to see it colder than minus 15 even, to be honest. Maybe even less than that for a hack. Well, I think as long as you're walking, I wouldn't ever have a problem with it as long as you as a rider are not frozen on top of your horse. I would be more concerned about the footing as far as trotting, I suppose. If you can find a good spot and just do a little bit of uh, a little bit of exercise, I wouldn't have a problem with that at any point. But uh, the footing needs to be good, and obviously the horse needs to be used to this kind of situation. It's hard to give a, an actual cutoff because, just like Kate said at the very beginning, with uh, if it's minus twenty and it's sunny outside, you tend to go outside more and want to go for a for a hack than if it's minus 20 and this damp and bad kind of cold. I think the horses feel a little similar to that at times. <laughs> That's the feeling I get. At Especially recently. I mean, over Christmas, we had a, like a blizzard and now then a week later it was plus 10. So anything different to do when we have a lot of temperature fluctuations in the winter? Keeping a closer eye on water intake, Appetite and feed intake and manure production are all important just because these swings in temperature and and drastic changes in weather certainly can predispose horses to colic. And so ensuring that they are staying regular on those three fronts, I think is important, perhaps Uh, As an owner or a caretaker, you could head things off at the pass a little bit by ensuring horses are getting top-dressed salt once or twice a day. That's going to help encourage drinking a little bit more if that's not already part of the routine. Maybe adding a little bit of oil, um, such as canola oil, to the diet as well, if that's not contraindicated for the horse, could help just in in keeping things moving through a little bit better too. Melanie, we often get questions, you know, we get our answering service and they collect messages or we on call, we get a message and somebody notices that their horse is urinating blood because they look at the snow and they see where the horse is urinated and it's red. What's going on there? Good point. So that's actually most of the time completely normal for horses because of course there can always be something wrong if it's red, red, blood-like, then certainly maybe take a look at uh, a pure horse's penis or vulva and make sure that there's nothing bleeding from there. But typically I would say 
99% of the time, it's uh, actually completely normal. It's uh, because of what the horses are eating and uh, the reaction of the metabolites there with the snow, from what I understand. And that can look uh, orange or reddish in color at times. Completely normal. And we just don't notice it in the, yeah, on the grass because it's not white. <laughs> Very good. Last question uh, for each of you. So, Kate, what is your favorite winter care tip or one that you think is most critical or overlooked? We would sometimes, because snowballs, even on unshod horses' feet in, in Saskatoon and the extreme cold in the prairies, we would actually sometimes put Vaseline on the soles of their feet. And that did seem to help decrease the accumulation of snow. Obviously, we don't want to be doing that in already slippery situations. But when you've got good footing and deep snow, it did seem to help. So maybe something that could be employed by some listeners here where appropriate. How about you, Melanie? I'm keeping it pretty simple. Feed your horses more hay over the winter is my biggest thing. And like uh, Kate explained so well, I would say that is something we don't always realize, but I feel horses do need more hay. I certainly go through more hay uh, with the horses that I'm familiar with during the winter. Mine would simply be get a proper snowpad on because I've seen too many accidents happen because of not having them. So that's my favorite tip. Hey, anything we should have brought up that we didn't, what have you, because this has been great. I did want to add on, I thought your point about the fall dental for the geriatrics is really great. But on top of that, certainly out in Saskatoon, and I think here to some degree, it's quite common in the fall to transition from pasture and grass to round bale hay in slow feed hay nets, or even small squares and flakes in hay nets. And sometimes slow feed hay nets are not appropriate for those geriatric horses. They just can't get enough out of those nibble nets and and whatnot. So I think just making sure that those geriatric horses have access to hay outside of of nets is is another tip that I would like to share where appropriate. If they are easy keepers, then not as much of a concern, but something to consider. And for sure, we're going to have a discussion closer to springtime on that transition from winter to spring because, yes, it's wonderful to see the green grass, but oof, there lies danger sometimes of certain horses. And we want to make sure we get the word out about that. So I'd like to thank you both taking your time out of a busy day. And if anybody has any questions or if there's anything we didn't address on the podcast, please reach out to us at info at mpequine.com. We'd be happy to answer them. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.